Well, tonight we're looking at how does a person who wanders from the truth become restored? So first off, we're going to see how did they wander to begin with. As we understand how they wandered away to begin with, we can understand how to bring them back. This is how James ends his epistle. We don't have any kind of a goodbye, no benediction, no closing prayer, nothing like that. Just this words about restoring one who wandered from the truth. And James speaks very highly of the ministry of restoring, but we will see that this ministry is very close to something that is not spoken very highly about in the Word of God. And we got to make sure that we are in the good ministry and don't slip over into the wrong one. And I told you I would have this brief summary from our weeks on fervent prayer. And so I wrote it up this way. Fervency in prayer is standing for the known will of God through faith in it. Despite what we see, feel, or hear that would indicate otherwise. And no matter the force that comes against you, be it satanic, human, or even God. And yes, God would have a judgment side. That's why we spent some time looking at the fact that God has a judgment side. If he was not, or if he did not have a judgment side, he would not be a good judge. So he must have a judgment side. And this judgment side is what Moses and others came against in fervent prayer when that judgment side was unleashed against Israel. Moses wasn't the only one, but he's the one we have the most detail on when he stood against the judgment side of God. He knew what the will of God was. So the judgment side is what Moses and others came against in fervent prayer when they were standing in the gap, so to speak, for Israel. Israel had wandered from the truth. They had wandered in the way of error, and judgment was coming. In particular, we looked at number 16, and we saw some of the things that were going on there in that one, that uh, the plague had been unleashed, and God was coming against Israel. And Moses is the one who stood against that. So that's fervency in prayer. So I just wanted to spend a little bit of time on that. The need for fervent prayer may be why one of those tactics of the enemy is to cause us to lose heart in the plan of God. And we looked at Luke 18 to close off last week, that... He taught, taught them how to uh, make sure that they don't lose heart in prayer. And the enemy, if he can get us to lose heart in the plan of God, if he can get us to lose heart in the will of God, then we will cut off our fervency in prayer and, uh, and not continue in it. And so the forces that would come against whatever it is that God has said he wanted done will back off and those forces will, will prevail instead of God prevailing. So that's our summary for the Last couple of weeks on fervent prayer. Let's pick up here at verse 19 and we will finish the last two verses here. This is how he ends his epistle. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. Now, in order to understand this, we really want to take a a look at the word wander. But when we see this term here, from the truth, the word, we sometimes read over the article pretty quickly in English. And sometimes the article is there in English and it doesn't have the same meaning that it does in in the Greek. But in this particular verse, looking up the truth here does carry the Greek article tase, which basically is translated the, but it is talking about the truth. This is set aside from all other truth. This is God's truth. This is the truth that comes from his word. This is the truth 
that God has established. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, this is not someone who wanders from what you think the truth is. This is not someone who wanders from what public opinion is. This is someone who wanders from what God said is the truth. So in order for us to figure out if they have wandered from the truth, we sure better know what the truth is. Now this brings up the question, can people fall from salvation or are they just Christians who don't believe all the truth? Because people will look at this verse and they will say, well, if they fell from the truth, they were never part of the truth. But that's not what James says here. Let's read it again. Brethren, if any among you. Now he's talking about brethren. That means they're in the family. Any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, which means they're coming back to the truth. They once they left the truth, they came back to the truth. I don't think there's any doubt in James' mind that these people were part of the family. But they wandered from the truth. So people can debate all they want to. I think James makes it pretty clear that though they were in the family, they had wandered from the truth in a, in a way that was jeopardizing their stand in the family. And you need to get them back. And we know that more from the next verse than this one. But here again, he's talking about brethren. If any among you, he doesn't seem to have the heathen in mind. He's writing to the people that were part of his church that got dispersed and were sent, sent abroad. And Revelation twenty two nineteen down in your outline, but it speaks of a person whose name is blotted out of the book of life. In order to be blotted out of the book of life, you had to be in it. So just that aspect of it right there would seem to indicate that you could be written in the book of life and do some things and get blotted out. I'd rather not be blotted out and I'd rather not flirt with how close can I get before I get blotted out. I'd just rather pursue God. So let's take a look at this word wonder. It comes from the Greek word planeo, and means uh, to to uh, cause to roam from safety, truth, or virtue, to go astray, to deceive, to err, to seduce, to wander, or to be out of the way. So we did a, uh, a look through this to see how this word was used in the Bible, because that's the best way to see how a word is uh, is intended to be used by the person using it, is to see how it's used by the people that were around them. Now, in classical Greek, classical Greek is what is the Greek that the Bible was written in before the Bible was written. It's just uh, when the, the language first came out. Now, it was used in a simple geographical sense. It was to lead someone on a journey astray so that he does not arrive at his destination. Just, you know, if you were on MapQuest and MapQuest is telling you or Google Maps is taking you in a direction, you say, I want to go here. And all of a sudden it got diverted and it was taking you in the wrong way. It's taking you on the journey, but it's diverting you. And it's taking you in the wrong direction. And you're not going to get to your destination. That's It just means it in that particular way. But when the Septuagint came along, they used this more in line with the way the New Testament used it. And in fact, uh, one place you'll see this is Second Kings 21 and 9, when it talks about Manasseh, when he seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. The word there, seduced, is this word that we have in the Greek, and it means to lead astray or to take them in a direction to which they would do something that was uh, that God did not intend. Now, in the New Testament, it is used 39 times in 37 verses. We are not going through all of them, but we are going to go through a lot. Because what we're going to show you is, is a couple of different classifications of how the Bible uses this word. 
If we understand what James means by wandering, if I understand how the person wandered to begin with, then we can figure out how to bring them back. It's like if somebody calls you up on the phone, they were using Google Maps to get to your house and they didn't get there and they something happened with the directions and they're, I don't know where I am. And so you need to ask them some things. All right, well, when you started, where did you go? You're trying to figure out where are they? How did you get off track? I need to know where you're at so that I can help bring you back to where you're supposed to be. So that's kind of the same thing we're doing here with this. In Matthew 18, 12 and 13, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, there's our word, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In this particular passage, Jesus is using this word by the simple way of a sheep going astray. They're with the flock. They're going in the direction of the flock. But something happened to the sheep. The sheep got distracted. The the sheep saw greener pastures. The sheep saw something bright and shiny. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it caused the sheep to leave the safety of the flock and to follow off in a different direction. That's one way that this is used. In Matthew 22, 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. You may not see that word jump out at you here, but here it is. When he says mistaken, that's our word. You are mistaken. What he's basically saying is, your truth has gotten off. You have wandered from the truth because of an error in your understanding. Your, the error of your understanding has caused your conclusion to come to a wrong place. Does that make more sense to you? So when he says you are mistaken, you have come to a wrong conclusion based on misunderstanding the information. So he says, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God because you lacked in knowledge of how much power God has and what the scriptures say. That's why you got this this uh, weird interpretation about the resurrection is what he's uh, talking to them on. Matthew 24, 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. For false Christ, verse 24, For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So three verses out of this passage, he's using this word deceive. Because people are going to come by, they're going to show you things, and tell you, I am of God, look at what I did. Look at the power that's here. Look at these things that are going on. This must lead you to the conclusion that I am of God. And God says, Jesus is saying to him, don't come to that conclusion. I'm telling you now, they will do things along this line, but don't believe them. Because you will wander from the truth. We'll summarize this here in just a little bit, but I want you to see the verses. John 7, 12 and 47. And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said no. On the contrary, he deceives the people. So here you have the religious leaders, the people in Israel, looking at Jesus, hearing the wonderful words that he's teaching, and some conclude that he is good, and others see see him as a wanderer, a deceiver. Using the same word that James uses. 
They just they saw Jesus who is nothing but truth and they saw it as false. 47. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? So they've already concluded that Jesus is deceived. Are you folks deceived too? 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And he goes on with his, his list. These will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a popular opinion to not hold to this scripture. But that's not what Jesus taught. What Jesus taught us, what Paul is citing here in Corinthians, are the things that he learned. Do not be deceived. You cannot go in this direction and inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. How many people have often said, well, I know they don't do great things, but I just enjoy them. I just like hanging out with them. I'm not going to become like them. I'm not going to do that. Evil company corrupts. But people think they won't. Do not be deceived. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. 2 Timothy 3, 13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Not only are they deceiving, but they will also be deceived. Rick Brenner had a brilliant statement long, long time ago, way back when uh, he used to visit Grace Fellowship where I used to go to church in Tulsa. And he came out there and did this series uh, called How to Respond When You Receive the Judas Kiss. He doesn't do series much anymore, not in the States. He does these one-time things, but this is one he used to do series. And uh, I t- to this day, I still think that is the greatest title of a series I've ever heard. How to respond when you receive the Judas kiss. And he made this statement in the, in the meetings when we were there. He said, in order to be a deceiver, you must first be deceived. And that's what he's talking about here. Deceiving and being deceived. You go down the way of deception, you'll be open for more deception. And you'll buy into more things. Titus 3 and verse 3, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. So we once were in this area of wandering. We were once going away from the truth. We were deceived. And obviously they came back. Hebrews 3.10, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray. Go astray is our word. They always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Talking about that generation that was that was wandering. They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. If we had known his ways, we wouldn't have gone astray. But they knew other ways. Hebrews 5.2 He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Ignorance is one of the causes of people being deceived or people wandering from the truth because they don't know the truth. James 1.16. I pulled this one out because this is, the, this is James who used this word earlier. In chapter 1, he, used, he said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So he's talking to them. He says, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to wander from the truth. And then, of course, here in five, chapter 5, 19 and 20. 
But Second Peter 2.15, they have forsaken the right way, gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So because he loved something, he left the truth to pursue wages of unrighteousness. He, he, he wanted the money. He wanted the payment. And so he left what he knew to be the truth to go after something else. 1 John 1.8 If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I don't always need somebody to help deceive me. I can do it myself. And the truth is not in us. 1 John 2.26 These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. And I'm only pulling one from Revelation, but there's a whole lot of them in there. Revelations 2.20 Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce. The word seduce is our word for wander. Seduce my servants to commit sexual morality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So in summary, all these verses, we read all these verses to follow this word through scripture to give you that there are basically three or four contexts here. The first one, and I just gave you blank lines. You can write in there as much of this as you want to. The first one is distracted and going astray like sheep. The first group that you can look at for people who wander from the truth are those that just become distracted and wandered away like sheep. Nobody came in to deceive them. They just saw something and decided they wanted it more than they wanted to stay with the truth. And so they went after it. Could be uh, money. Could be fame. It could be uh, public opinion. It could be popularity. It could be all kinds of things. But something got in and just distracted them and they just decided, I want to go over here instead of being here with the truth. So that's the first one. Distracted and going astray like sheep. There's the second one. And the second and third are very close. That's why I said three or four. These are very, very close together. Deceived because of ignorance. And I put in parentheses, not knowing the truth. Deceived because of ignorance. One of the ways that this word is used is distracted and going astray like sheep. And second, to be deceived because of ignorance. Because I don't know what the Word of God teaches, someone else came along and taught me something different and I followed after it because of ignorance. Because I didn't know. Or maybe I just wasn't sold on on what I knew. Much like in Matthew twenty two twenty nine, when we read that, Jesus answered and said to you, you are mistaken not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. So because of their ignorance, they were deceived and they wandered from the truth. Here's the third one. Deceived because of manipulation. So the first one is deceived because of ignorance. The second one is deceived because of manipulations. Signs, enticing speech, identity with a cause, things like that. This is spoken of so much by Jesus, warning of the end times. Be careful that no one deceive you. Speaks about lying signs and wonders. He says, don't let them pull you in. People are going to come saying that they're coming in my name. Don't believe them. He, he said, this stuff is coming. It's going to try and manipulate you into believing that this is of God. In the book of Revelation, we have many signs and wonders that John describes that the Antichrist and the, his prophet are going to be performing to get people to believe that the power of God is with them. So deceive because of manipulation. First one is deceived because of ignorance of the truth. I don't know the truth. I don't know the truth well enough. I don't hold to the truth. For some reason, I was able to be shaken from what truth 
I thought I knew, did know, didn't know, whatever it might be. But my lack of knowledge comes into play. The second one, people are doing things to try and manipulate me and move me in. Here's the fourth one. Determined because I want to go this way. I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. I know God said I shouldn't pursue these things, but I want to do it. (laughs) You just get determined. I am just going to go after what I want to do. And I wander from the truth because I want something else more. It's not quite like the sheep who just got distracted. You just saw something, really didn't have a desire to leave, but just pursuing something and got lost. These folks made a determined effort to say, I am going this way no matter what. Second Peter 2.15 They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. There's a deliberate walking away from what is true to pursue something else. So those are the four areas that I, I put. Two and three are pretty close to each other. Again, that's why I said three or four. If you want to see them both as the same, yeah, you can. But uh, those four areas. So these are the four areas that we see in the Word. Just looking at the Word of God. These are the four areas that we see people wandering from the truth. Now, what about this restoring part? Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. Now, there is no command to turn the sinner back. But it seems that the effort is expected to be made. James is expecting that if you see somebody wandering off, you're going to make an effort to bring them back. You're going to go after them and say, hey, that's the, that's the wrong way. That's not the way that you want to go. That's, that could hurt you going in that way. And you would make an effort to go out there and to get them. Is what he's saying. Now the word here, turn, means to turn to, to cause to return, to bring back, to turn oneself or to return. This also occurs 39 times. thought that was kind of unusual. 39 times in 38 verses instead of 37. And I'm not going to nearly read as many. <laughs> just a couple of them. Because you can get a pretty good idea of what this word is just from a few. Matthew chapter 9 verse 22. But Jesus turned around. And when he saw her... He said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Jesus turned around. So that word there, turned around, is this word. Most of the time that you will see this word used in the New Testament, it is talking about someone turning themselves. Jesus turned to the woman. This is most of the time that you see this. Someone turned, someone did something. In Matthew 10, 13, if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Acts 28, 27, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Now, Jesus quoted this verse too. Quoted this passage as well as seen it here in, in Acts. And don't you get the idea from this? That Jesus says, if these people hear this, for their hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal heal them. If you ever wonder, 
Why does God say it that way? It sounds like He doesn't want them to come back. Well, there's a judgment side to judge the sin. And that part is activated. But as somebody gets involved in that person's life, like Moses got involved with the Israelites, and he said, no God, your will is to bring them into the promised land. I'm going to hold you to it. You're not going to wipe them out here. I know they're sinners. I know they're rebellious. But this is what you said. And he held them to his word. And he stopped the judgment side of God coming. So that the original will that God said he would do. So God is sometimes in those situations where there is the proposed will that he said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. And then when they really mess up and the judgment side comes against them, stand aside, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, I'm not standing aside. And he makes intercession for them. And he stands in the gap for them and, and brings them on back. And that verse shows us that same picture. This is when the forces of God are coming against and fervent prayer is in, involved. Second Corinthians 3.16. We spent three weeks on fervent prayer. I didn't want to get into it anymore here. <laughs> Second Corinthians 3.16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When they turn to the Lord, the blindness that they had is gone. It is removed. Second Peter 2.21 For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now most all of these are about us turning ourselves. I turn myself to the truth. I turn myself away from the truth. I turn myself to face a person or whatever it might be. There is a negative and a positive side to any turn that we make. If I turn and say yes to God, I'm saying no to sin. If I turn to and say yes to sin, I'm saying no to God. You cannot have a turn without there being a positive and a negative. So if, if I was a sinner and I turned from my sinful ways, the positive is I have turned to God. The negative is I have gone against sin. And the opposite is true for a believer, as James is talking about, who wanders from the truth. But since another person is clearly involved in here with James, he's not speaking of turning oneself. He's speaking of someone who has stepped in to help turn the person. Because sometimes people are going in the wrong direction and they don't know it. They're going the wrong way, but they don't know that they're going the wrong way. They think they're going the right way. I don't know if you've ever given directions to somebody. And maybe, you know, uh, I get this a lot because... If, when you're out running on the streets and somebody is lost, they see you running and they figure you know where you are. And most times I do, but sometimes I'm running in neighborhoods I don't know. We're just, you know, just out there running, kind of investigating, and hopefully we get back. <laughs> we, were, we were doing that up in the mountains. I was, I was up there in the mountains. I was by myself up there in the mountains on these trails. And uh, the first time I went, uh, well, I'll go this way, and then I went that way, and then, well, I'll go this way, and I went that way, and I went down this mountain, up this mountain, down this mountain, up this mountain, and, and pretty soon I was nowhere near. I couldn't even see where home was. And you're up mountains and down mountains. It, it's a while before you can even get over enough mountains that you can even see it. And so I was just running with my watch. And um, the, the, by the second or third day, I thought, I better bring the phone and, and start the app. Because, um, and uh, it was real good on one day, because one day I went out on a, on a path, 
And I thought, I think I can make a loop out of this. If I go around that mountain and go around this mountain and come up over here and come back over here, I bet I'll connect back in over this way. And I didn't. <laughs> and I thought, I have to figure out how to get back onto the path that I was so that I could <laughs> find my... So I'm looking at the app. All right, I was here. All right, let me see if I can go through here. If I can... <laughs> it's, so, you know, you're... You're doing that. So sometimes I'm running in places where I don't know. But most times the people see you out there running, they just sort of figure that you know where you are. And so they stop and they say, can you tell me where? And if I can tell them, if I can help them out, you know, I like to, well, you go over here and you go this way and uh, go down to here and make it right. And sometimes I, I watch the people as they go. And so then they're heading on down. And where I said, you know, you go down here, and you make it right. Well, they made a left. Oh, man, they're going in the wrong direction. And I'm not going to be able to run and catch up with them. <laughs> I know that. I, I do not have that much confidence in any speed that I got. Of course, I've gotten a lot slower than, than I used to be. But uh, I'm still not going to catch up to a car. But if you had a car and you gave directions, you might try and speed up and, and go after them and chase after them and say, no, 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 that way. Go that way. And uh, and help get them go that. Because you don't ever, if you know a person is going in the wrong direction, there's just something that moves you, that you want to go over there and to help them to go in the right direction. So, how does a believer turn one from the error of his ways? I think I just gave you some blank room there. You can write anything in here that you want. But how does a believer turn one from the error of his ways? If James is saying people are going wrong, if they are, if you can turn them from the error of their ways, this is good. And it sounds like God would be real happy. If God is rejoicing because of one who turns back, how much rejoicing is he also giving for the person who turned them? Did you see that? They went out and they chased them down and they got them to turn around. Got them out of that way of error. How great is that? So, just calling out their error will, will usually fail. Just know this. If you're going to go up to the person and you see them doing something in error, and you go up and say, hey, that's wrong, that won't work. Very seldom is that going to work. It worked with David. But David was the exception. He had a little better heart than most people do. And so he, but he had to still go through the story. Well, there was a story, the, the sheep and the little lamb and, and all that sort of stuff, and, and uh, killing the lamb and feeding the guy. And David got mad, got his emotions involved. David, you're the man. Oh, man, he repented. But most of the time, if you just go up to, to a person and say, you are missing it, uh, they don't like it. Now, have anybody experienced that? Anybody say, going up to somebody and say, you're missing it, and I am not. <laughs> so just calling out their error will usually fail. So if you want to fail, just go up to them and tell them that they're, they're doing wrong, and then you can feel good about yourself. I tried to fix them, and they wouldn't listen. Now, first, you have to determine which of the ways of wandering did they go. Did they just get distracted? Are they wandering because they're ignorant of some kind of truth? Are they wandering because they're, they're mesmerized by some kind of signs and wonders or some kind of things that people are doing? Is that what's, what's got them going after it? We have to figure, figure that out. Maybe they just determined, I am going to do this because I want to. So that will tell us how we need to prepare to bring light to their situation. Because what you have to do is bring light to where they're going. They see the way they're going is okay. But you see it in a different light. 
and you say where they're going, this is destruction. So if you can get the light that you see onto their path so that they can see it. Ah, see now we can get somewhere. But that's what we have to work on. How do we get that light? Now, don't do what some Christians do. Some Christians, they just pray for them and they go. Well, Father God, I pray that you bring them into some light. Father God, I just pray that you, that you, uh, I bind the devil in their life and <laughs> they'll come after all these kind of things and, and feel like, well, you know, that's what we did. And if they made a turn into the kingdom of God instead of doing what, well, that was because I was praying for them. Uh, it's garbage. That is not. Because what James is talking about here is, is if you turn them, if you turn them, there is an effort. There is something that goes on that you turn them. And it involves more than that. What you need to do is the prayer needs to be involved. You need to pray. But you need to pray first off, not just for that person. You need to pray for you. If I'm going to be the one who's going to bring that light to that, I need to pray for me. Father God, I need to first off see what it is that they're seeing. I need to understand what it is that they're understanding. I need to know where it is that they're coming from. Because right now, I don't understand it at all. It doesn't make sense to me. But if you give me the light, you let me see this thing from where they're coming from, I can maybe help them out. I need to pray that I understand that I can see. I need to listen to God because God's going to speak some things to me. He's going to tell me some stuff to say. I may hear it and say, oh, I can't say that. Well, then you can't fix them. Because sometimes God will tell you some hard things. Sometimes God will give you insight. You don't even know it's insight. But God will say, say this, speak this, and then you need to go out there and you need to do it. These are the things that are done to, to turn them. And then once I pray, listen, I need to go out there and speak what God has given me. Now they've accepted what is false. In order to wander from the truth, they have already accepted what is false. We've taught you this before. If you accept what is false, you will reject what is true when it comes along. They have accepted what is false. They are set up right now to reject what is true. If you come in with what is true, they will reject it because they have accepted what is false. Now, does God want them to return? Well, of course He does. But there are forces arrayed to keep those in error off course. To keep them going in the, in the direction of being off. You are coming against those forces. You are the one who is going to be making a stand with them against these things. What kind of prayer do you need to think that you think you need to make for these people? And maybe you understand why he was talking about fervent prayer before he got into this. Because there are forces that are going to try and keep those in error in error. Going in the same direction. You have to be ready to face those forces. Whether they be satanic forces. Whether they be humanistic voices. Human voices. Or whether there be a force of God. It says they have done these things. Judgment is coming. And you'll be like Moses. You'll be like Elijah. You'll be like Elisha. You'll be like Ezekiel. Others who stood in the gap. Now, the enemy wants them in darkness, and they too may want it. So what kind of praying must you do? Get in there, and you you stay in it. Father God, there are forces coming against. Understand, you are going to be taking on some of these forces. 
you stand against them. But God says, restore them. Bring them back. So let's go on here to the, the rest of this. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and, <clears throat> and cover a multitude of sins. What is the difference between one who turns a sinner from the error of his way and one who turns a believer from the truth? Let me say that to you again. Think about this. What is the difference between one who turns a sinner from the error of his way and one who turns a believer from the truth? A person who turns a believer from the truth, this would be known as a deceiver. A person who turns a sinner from the error of his way is known as a restorer. Some are deceived and think they are right. Most people who are deceived think they are right. Thereby, they feel they are pulling people out of darkness, not into it. Some are of darkness and are against God. Some of the, some deceivers are deceived and think they are right, but some, they are just pure darkness and they are against God. It's hard to believe that there's people out there, but Satan gets people that are this way. Thinking of Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? You have got to, first off, make sure your truth is God's truth and of His kingdom before you start making any restoring going on. Because there's a fine line between a restorer and a deceiver. That fine line is the truth of God's Word. It cannot be just your truth. It has to be the truth of God's Word. You have got to know what the Word of God said. You can't be hanging on some verse with some obscure meaning that no one ever did. You've got to know from the Word, this is what it said. It said it repeatedly. It said it clearly. And here's people who did it. Because there's a fine line between being a deceiver in turning people from the truth to error and being a restorer and turning people from error to truth. Now, he makes a statement here in 20 that has caused all kinds of issues with theologians and such. I was meditating on this for a little while. I think I got some clarity for it. But let him who... Let him... Know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There's actually debate on this as to what is meant here by covering a multitude of sins. Is our goal in the Christian life to have our sins covered? So first off, we have to ask the question, whose sins are covered? Because he does not specifically say. I don't think there's too much debate on this, but apparently there is. Now to me, it would seem to be the sinner. 
Why are we talking about a multitude of sins in the person doing the restoring? Because they're the person who didn't leave the truth. Wouldn't the multiple, multiple sins be involved with the person who left the truth? Who fell into error? I think that's pretty clear. I, cu- I couldn't quite figure out why there's debate on that, but there is. So they are the one in sin and error and likely the one who, whose sins need covering. Now sinners, when people are sinners, they're heathens. We'll put it, we'll say it that way. People that are heathens that never came to God. When they got saved, did I ever go back and confess all of their sins? When you got saved, was it required of you to go back and remember all the sins that you did and confess each one before God? It was not. Thank God for that. I mean, if it was, who in the world could be saved? What if I can't remember all the sins that I did? <laughs> Glory to God, we didn't have to. When we got saved, we didn't have to come to God and, and confess all of our sins. What did we have to do? Father God, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. He is my Lord. He is God. He is my redemption. And I accept His, His blood on the cross as payment for me. And we submit ourselves to that and submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And whatever happened in the past, what happened to our sins in the past? Covered. Covered. I don't have to go back there and repent them. So, what this is probably talking about, if you have a brother who fell into error, and how long have they been in error? They probably weren't in error for a day. Most people that we see in error for a day, we don't really talk about them being in error. Maybe they're just confused. <laughs> we don't, don't really, we're looking at people in error. They, they're people that uh, wandered further and further and further and further away. And now they're doing things they never would have thought they would have done. And they think that they're right. And so probably a lot of sins piled up. Because they're not on guard against that. They're not uh, trying to do the will of God. They're actively going against the will of God. And so they probably have mounted up quite a few sins. Well, does that person have to come back and confess all those things? And apparently, from what I read in this, no. Get them to turn. Get them to come back to the truth. And all those things they did will just cover them up. Just like when they got born again. We're just gonna, we're not gonna have to go back through there and repent all this. It's all covered. Covered by the blood, covered by whatever you want, but taken care of. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now he's not talking about physical death, is he? Because we're not, none of us are gonna be saved from that. He's talking about a spiritual death. So apparently, this brother could go in a direction to cause spiritual death. Now, how does that happen? I don't know. Often we say this. I've said this. I heard somebody else say it. I thought it was good. Where is that point where you as a believer have wandered far enough from the truth where you are no longer saved and you are now in the place of death? I don't know. I'm in sales. (laughs) Got to talk to management. I'm not in management. It's not my role. So don't try and play a role that you don't have. <laughs> but I'm not going to try and dance around and see how close I can get because I don't want to get there on the skin of my teeth. I want to get into heaven. I want to have some, some crowns. I want to have some rewards. I want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to just get by. So we're not trying to dance around, down, dance around that. But I don't have to figure it out for anyone else. That's for God to do. He's He sees the whole thing. He sees the heart. I don't see all that sort of stuff. God hasn't called me to be going on in those things. 
He hasn't called me to make those judgments. What he did call me to do was if I see someone walking away from the truth, walking in error, to make that judgment based on what I see and their actions and to go and talk to them about it and turn them back to the way of truth. In order to do that, I got to first off go and make sure. I Am I in the way of truth? Have I missed it? Nope. I know from the word here, the word here, the word here, the word here, the word here. I'm in the way of truth. I know from the word here, the word here, the word here, the word here, they're going in the way of error. All right. We've got that straightened out. Because I don't want to be a deceiver. I don't want to be going over there and pulling people over into this side. That we can't be doing. Those who were of the truth but fell away are likely in the same situation. As we said, they don't have to confess every sin. They just got to come back to the truth and be there. Now, I um, I think we started this in your outline and I just left you some room there. Did I put this in there but for the mature believer? Is that in there? All right. There's a whole lot more beside that. I just couldn't fit it all in there. And I'll do the same thing with you. If you want me to just text this to you, just let me know. But for the mature believer, moving up in the kingdom for greater fellowship, understanding, responsibility, or calling will not come until we acknowledge and understand where our ways have come short. This is more than just than a restoring of fellowship. It's promotion and such a reward will not come to those who just have sins covered. A mature believer will not just have their sins covered. We have to deal with them. Because God wants to move you on into promotion. And so what God says is, you need to understand why that is wrong. I need you to see why it's wrong. I need you to see why this goes against the Word of God. Because if you don't understand why it goes against the Word of God and repent of that, I can't take you on to where I need to take you, to where I want to take you, to where I plan to take you. Now that believer who just came back from wandering from the truth, they're not in a position for for a promotion. But glory to God, I sure hope I am. I pursue things to be promoted, to promoted in the in the kingdom. Jesus told the disciples, "You want to become the greatest? Here's how you do it." So obviously, He wants us to be promoted in the kingdom. He wants us to move up. He wants people to move up. Good thing is, we all can move up. You don't have to not move up in order for me to move up, and and vice versa. That's not God wants us to to take on greater responsibility in the kingdom. He wants us to have greater understanding. He wants us to move in greater power. He wants us to to take on more responsibilities and more callings. He wants these to come upon us. He has them there. I need people that can take them. I need people that have a walk, an understanding, a maturity that I can put this on them and they can take this that I need to go on in this world. I need you to take this. I need some people. I'm looking all around. I'm looking to and from all about the earth. Who can I put these things on? And all of, if all he has is people who wandered from the truth and came back, well, they're not candidates. He needs people that have walked with him. Who did Paul look for when he looked for people to be on a team? He looked for people that, that had proved themselves in certain things. All right, let's, let's try and prove you in this. And he took some people. Timothy, he proved him all kinds of ways. And he started promoting him. And, and he even said at one point, there's nobody in the, around here except Timothy and me. We're the only ones that have this, this kind of mindset. 
and that included Titus and uh, some other pretty, uh, pretty uh, high-minded people. So I'm not looking for my sins to get covered. I'm looking for my sins to get dealt with. I want God to deal with me on the sin. Father God, if I missed it, I need you to tell me. I need to understand how did I miss it? What did I come short on? And as you help me understand what I came short on, what I missed on here, ah, all right. I can make sure I don't do that again. Because as you saw with Moses, there's not a whole lot of room for error for people that are high up in responsibility and calling. Ezekiel did not have a whole lot of room for error. God needed him to speak the words exactly as he gave them. Wasn't he real clear about that? I need you to say exactly what I say. And he showed himself the beast person who would do it. And God kept moving him up. And he had some of the most astounding prophecies. When we looked at the, the, the book of Ezekiel and saw the things that God had done with him, how he grew as a prophet all through that. So I'll read this to you one more time. For the mature believer, moving up in the kingdom for greater fellowship, understanding, responsibility, or calling will not come until we acknowledge and understand where our ways have come short. This is more than a restoring of fellowship. It's promotion. And such a reward will not come to those who just have sins covered. So I hope that brings some clarity to you for that particular verse. As we said, there is a fine line between restorer and deceiver. The line is the truth of God's word. If you are not careful to know it and test things, just like it says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If you're not careful to know it and test, you could think you are... Or the first, you may think you are a restorer, but you could be a, de- a deceiver. You could be the latter. You gotta test things. There are a lot of people out there. The spirits, the spirit world came up and began to whisper some things to them, began to give them insights, understanding, and they didn't test it. And they accepted it. And they're out there teaching all kinds of fruity things. Paul ran into them. And he, he pointed out Jesus is dealing with them in his ministry. These are not new. I got one more thing I, I wanted to make sure I got all this to you, so I wrote this, wrote this down. With so many churches, pastors, teachers, etc., watering down the Word, softening its commands, interpreting the Word of God through their own experiences. Boy, that bugs me when they do that. People out there, they interpret the Word of God through what they have experienced. You cannot do that. You interpret your experiences through the Word of God. Don't ever flip it. But I've seen, heard ministers do this. Do this, interpreting the Word of God through their own experiences, teaching the same things they did years ago. That's another thing that frosts me. When I hear somebody teach a message that they taught 10 years ago, and it's the same message, it didn't change. What, you didn't grow? 10 years, you didn't grow? You didn't learn any more about that? What is wrong? They should have grown in their understanding. We're not, we're having leaders that are not growing. We're having teachers that are not growing in their walk. They're not growing in their understanding. They got nothing more to teach. They teach the same things they did years ago. Not growing themselves and thereby cutting off one of the avenues of growth for the body. Then those who would see a brother in error are likely to not correct with the word. Or hear what the Spirit of God is speaking. Or be able to shine light of God on the darkness of error. Prophets will speak from emotion. 
evangelists will appeal to the flesh and any message from the word of God that would anger or distance people will be rejected and left unpreached in favor of attendance and offerings of the people of God is trying to reach, teach, correct, and grow. We have to make sure that we press into God more. There is so much of God that we have not tapped into. So much of God we haven't yet understood. So much of His Word we haven't grabbed hold of yet. There's so much. I know for myself there is so much of God's Word I still have yet to learn. And I look forward to every day I get to learn it some more. Every day that He teaches me more. Every day that I go through and I look at some of the same passages I saw a year ago and say, Oh, I didn't see that before. Oh, I get excited. Because I should see more than I saw before. We all should. Because we are, we're supposed to see and understand more of God. As I understand more of God, God can put more on me. And God can count on me more. God needs to find those people that He can rely on. And we need to be those that He can rely on in teaching, in correcting, in praying. So many things that we need to do in ministry. Don't bypass. Don't shirk your responsibilities. Press in. James is writing to his church that is dispersed all around the Roman kingdom. And he's writing to them the things that are in his heart. And this is the one he leads off for. You're going to see people that have stepped out in error, that have wandered from the truth. Go after them. Go after them. Pray like someone who knows what they're doing and not someone who's just moved by emotion and by the things that they see. No. Be like a Moses who stood before the judgment side of God being poured out on the people and knew what God wanted to do. And he stood up to it. Are we willing to stand up to those forces? Are we willing to be an Elijah who stood up to all that came against him from the satanic forces? And he stood up seemingly by himself. God says, you're not by yourself, but it sure seemed to him that he was. And he was willing to stand one person against all of that. That's where we need to get to. Forces of evil are very strong. But God has not weakened and God has not become any less. And He will still work through us. Father, I thank You that You will do great things through Your church. As we learn from Your Word, as we stand in prayer, as we take up arms, You will help us. You will teach us. You will use us. Father, we are blessed to be used. We look forward to the things that are coming, the understandings that we will grow in. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.